You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, if you have a Bible with you, if you'll make your way to the Gospel according to Luke Today we arrive at chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at the first three verses. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. If you're a guest with us, we've been making our way through the gospel according to Luke in a series we are calling From the Manger to the Throne. Luke chapter 8, our verses for the, te- for the sermon this morning are verses 1 through 3. And I invite you to follow along as I read now God's holy, inspired an authoritative word. Beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he, being Jesus, went through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, wife of Chaza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. May the Lord now bless the preaching of His Word. Church, something took place in our nation during the late 1960s and early 1970s that impacted the culture in a way that no one planned for or could have. And was divided over the war. And there was a growing display of rebellion from the hippie culture which promoted a lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You would have thought that the culture was on the fast track to hell. And that would have been the case had it not been for a great work of God. Church, let us never forget God often does His best work during the worst times. And during that period of time, which was marked by moral decay, outright defiance, especially from so many young people all over the nation, during that time, God began radically saving people from the hippie culture. God began to radically save men and women, especially young men and women. And this great work of God, it began on the West Coast, and it spread to the East Coast and beyond. This time of spiritual awakening took place between 10 and 15 years, and it's been labeled by historians, both Christian historians and non-Christian historians, as the Jesus Movement. And what happened during the Jesus movement has left its mark on the evangelical landscape of our nation. For example, many denominations were birthed during the Jesus movement, including our own. 
I don't know how familiar you are with our history. If you're a guest with us, we are a part of a denomination, a family of churches and call, called Sovereign Grace Churches. Well, our founders were saved during the Jesus movement. Actually, to prove to you that we were birthed out of the Jesus movement, our original name wasn't Sovereign Grace. Get this, it was People of Destiny. <laughs> Aren't you glad we changed our name? Now today, as we come to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we're going to reflect on the very first Jesus movement and the way it impacted the world for Christ. And what was true of the Jesus movement uh, uh, here in the United States in the, in the 60s and the 70s was also true of the very first Jesus movement that took place in Galilee in the 30s A.D., People you didn't expect to get saved. And people you didn't expect for God to use to carry out His kingdom work. Those were the very ones whom God saved and commissioned. Today, as we reflect on the impact of the ministry of Jesus and the impact that it had on both cities and villages throughout Galilee and beyond, we notice that a group of Jesus followers who could be easily overlooked, they suddenly rise to the surface and become the main point of emphasis. And the emphasis that they're given in this passage, it's not coincidental. It's intentional. What group am I referring to? I'm talking about the many women who were ministered to by Jesus and in turn played a vital role in his ministry. So this morning, I actually want to divide our text into two parts. Here's our outline. We're going to look at the women who were ministered to by Jesus and the women who ministered with Jesus. Let's begin with the women who were ministered to by Jesus. Now, before we discover the vital role these women played in the ministry of Jesus, we must realize that Jesus first ministered to these women personally. And He did so in such a way that, that it was life transforming. Look, look back again at verses 1 and 2. After informing us that Jesus was traveling around, bringing the gospel of the kingdom to all who were seeking after it, Luke informs us that the twelve apostles were with Jesus, but so were a number of female disciples. And here, in verses 2 and 3, he mentions the name of just three of them. We meet a woman named Mary from Magdala. And Joanna, who's married to the household manager of Herod Antipas. And then finally, he mentions Susanna, who's not named anywhere else in Luke's Gospel and doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Now what's noteworthy about these three women in particular is the way in which their relationship with Jesus is described. Look at the beginning of verse 2. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. You see, these female disciples of Jesus who Luke mentions had significant problems that no one else had the power to overcome. That's what it means when it said they had infirmities 
And they, they, many of them were plagued by evil spirits. There were problems in their life, significant problems in their life. No one else had the power to overcome except Jesus. Women were told like Mary from Magdala. We know she was in dire straits before she met Jesus because we're told she was possessed by seven demons. In other words, she was completely taken over by evil spirits. And no one could do anything about it except Jesus. See, Luke doesn't picture Mary simply as the cause of her demise. Actually, he pictures her as a helpless victim. Why do I say that? Because if you look carefully, it said she needed healing, not just repentance. It doesn't just say he healed those with the affirmities, but he healed those with affirmities and evil spirits. Here is a woman who is bound, who is a victim, who is being traumatized, and Jesus sets her free. Now think about the picture that Luke paints here of Mary. She goes from being a demon-possessed woman to a disciple of Jesus. Which begs us to ask this question, what does her story tell us about Jesus? What do we learn about Jesus by hearing this little background information about her? Here's what we learn about Jesus. He's more than just a good teacher. Jesus has the ability to deliver people from evil. He has the ability to transform people's life. And he has the ability to equip them to be a part of his kingdom work. That is who Jesus is. Well, that brings us to the second woman. What about Joanna? What does her story reveal about Jesus and the nature of his kingdom? Well, we're told that Joanna's husband is the household manager of Herod Antipas. If you remember who he is, he's the one who's imprisoned John. And we're told in chapter 9, verse 9, that up to this point in chapter 9, Herod is intrigued by Jesus. But by the time we come to chapter 13, verse 31, we're told that Herod wants to kill Jesus. So can you imagine... Being Joanna, your husband works for Herod, and you follow Jesus. She's in a complicated situation, isn't she? Joanna obviously believed that allegiance to Jesus was worth the risk. Why? Because Jesus was her king, not Herod. Jesus was worth the risk Because he was her king. Well, what about Susanna? Well, all we can say about her is this. She must have been known by the original audience to whom this gospel account was originally written. I wish we could spend more time here. But one of the things several New Testament scholars have pointed out in some really great books on this is that when names are mentioned in the New Testament... One of the reasons they're often mentioned, and even there's such a distinguishing between which John are you talking about or which person are you talking about, it's because the original audience could have known those people and checked the facts. 
So though we don't know much about Susanna's background, here's what we do know. She, along with these other two women, would have been an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. I love what Rebecca McLaughlin says in her book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. She says, just like Luke gives us Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna as eyewitnesses of Jesus as unborn and as a newborn, so now he gives us Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna as witnesses of Jesus' ministry. So in the same way at the beginning, we have three ladies testifying to to Jesus' identity before he's born and once he's born. Now he begins his ministry and here are three ladies that are eyewitnesses of his ministry. Now what do these ladies' stories teach us about Jesus? What a quote from Rebecca McLaughlin again. She says this, to say that Jesus is a good teacher is saying like the sun is just a good source of light. She did, you, you can't look at these ladies' stories and just think, well, Jesus just must be a good teacher. Let's, let's be clear, to encounter Jesus and to be ministered to by Jesus, it, it changes the trajectory of our life. And that's what we see here. These were three women whose lives were radically changed because Jesus met them and ministered to them. But that's not all we see here in these three verses. That brings us to our second thing. We see the women who ministered with Jesus. As we saw in the previous story from last week, and we met this woman who had a reputation in her community of being a sinner, yet she was welcomed by Jesus. And not only welcomed by Jesus, she was forgiven of her sins. Do you remember what she did? The story last week, as we met this woman, she did what? She publicly honored Jesus in front of everybody with a costly gift. That's what that alabaster flash she brought. That would have been costly. And here she is publicly honoring Jesus with this costly gift. And we're told here in Luke chapter 8 verse 3 that these ladies do the same. These three women were told along with many other women not only traveled with Jesus, they ministered alongside of Jesus by supporting Him financially. That's what these ladies are doing. They they have a part in Jesus' ministry. Now, much more could be said about these women's financial support of Jesus. Actually, these women introduced to us a theme that will be emphasized many more times in Luke's gospel in the days ahead. So I'm not going to say a lot about this topic now because these ladies are kind of the doorway into a topic that's going to become bigger and more detailed as we go. And it's this. It's the theme of one of the ways we express our devotion to Jesus is by giving financially for the sake of His kingdom. It's one of the things we take away from these ladies that's going to be emphasized and it's going to be explained in greater detail as we go. For now, I simply want to highlight their financial giving as an expression of active discipleship. Now, why why do I use the word active discipleship? It's for this reason. 
If Jesus changes our life, we must respond to the message of His kingdom with our lives, not just with our ears and our mouth. See, if Jesus really has changed us, and if what He said is true, our response shouldn't just be to listen to Him or to confess that He is who He says He is. More is required. To be a disciple of Jesus requires active discipleship. Think about how chapter 8, verses 1-3 through is functioning here this morning. I think it makes this point. These three verses, think of it like this. They're functioning like a hinge or like a bridge. They're connecting the story from last week with this story, but they're also bridging us into what the rest of chapter 8 is going to be about. And there is going to be a theme throughout the rest of chapter 8. And you know what the theme of chapter 8 is? Those who are disciples of Jesus are doers of the word, not just hearers only. And these women are, are not only connecting us from last week's story, but they are now preparing us for the rest of chapter 8, where we're going to see story after story, even hear parables starting next week, where Jesus is going to make this point. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it's not just with your mouth, it's with your life. You can't just hear and not do. See, these ladies exemplify what true discipleship looks like. To be a disciple of Jesus requires an active participation in the ministry of Jesus. Listen, church, we must not simply be people who've been ministered to by Jesus, but then fail to be ministers of Jesus in this fallen world. Let me say that again, and and let let me highlight what this means for us. As I look around this room, This room is filled with people whom Jesus has ministered to. We have stories like these three ladies, do we not? We once were lost, now we're found. We once were a mess. We once had no understanding about the meaning of life. We once were heading as fast as we could to hell. And Jesus ministered to us. He rescued us. He's changed us. He saved us. We must not just be people who rejoice in being ministered to by Jesus, but then fail to be ministers of Jesus in this world. But these ladies, they're an example. They're they're an example to us of people who were not only ministered to by Jesus, but they are ministers of Jesus. They were active participants in the ministry of Jesus. Of Christ. Now, why do I use this word ministry? Because the word you see in verse 3, it says, who provided for them out of their means. That word provided, do you know what it means in the Greek? In our English, it just looks like they gave. That word provided in the Greek means to serve. Do you know what that, that the word minister just means to serve? It doesn't mean pastor. It's used in our culture in a more official way, but a minister It's just the Greek word for a servant. Actually, the word that's used here is the word we get deacon from. It just means a servant. These ladies are a part of the ministry of Jesus. 
Now stop and think about the implications of these women being disciples of Jesus. These women who traveled with Him and they ministered to Him and the twelve. Do you know that only Luke inserts these comments that we find in verses 1-3 through in his gospel? You can't find these comments about these ladies and about women being a part of, of the ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, or John. And that's intentional. Luke is drawing our attention to something. And it's the purpose uh, or the vital part that, that women play in the ministry of Jesus. And not only does Luke include verses 1 through 3, but Luke intentionally emphasizes the vital role women play in the ministry of Jesus by all throughout his gospel pairing them with stories of men. Now, why, why do I draw attention to that? Well, we see it in our own text. Before we're told about these women, we're, we're, we're told about the twelve. And if you remember, the twelve are all men. Now, if you're not aware, there's a unique feature of Luke's gospel that we must pay attention to. It's the way in which Luke places stories in pairs to emphasize a point. We, we've seen it once already. We're seeing it again today, and we're going to see it many more times, where, where Luke pairs things together. And that's his unique way of telling a story. John had ways of talking about Jesus that are different than the other three writers, Mark and Matthew. Well, Luke puts pairs together. And his pairing of men and women throughout the gospel, it's, it's obvious and it's intentional. Let me give you just a sampling all commentators point this out. Here's just one excellent commentator named James Edwards. He draws attention to just a few examples in Luke's gospel. Beginning with the annunciation of the angel Gabriel. He came to what? To Zechariah. And then he comes to Mary. And then both of them do what? They both sing psalms of praise. Or think about the, 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 the mission of of the newborn Jesus as he's acknowledged in the temple. He's not just acknowledged by Simeon. He's immediately followed or acknowledged by Anna. Or think about the inaugural sermon of Jesus in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. In that sermon, Jesus cites the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian as Gentile beneficiaries of Israel's mission. And in chapter 11... There is a witness that's brought against the disbelief of Israel by the queen of the south and the men of Nineveh. Or think about the healing of the centurion servant immediately followed by the healing of the widow's son. Or in the parables. In the parables at the center of chapter 13, the kingdom of God is illustrated by a man sowing seed immediately followed by a woman baking bread. In chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of a man searching for a lost sheep, immediately followed by a woman searching for a lost coin. Do you get the point? That's just a handful of examples where every time Luke makes a point, he tells the story of a man and then puts right beside it the story of a, of a woman. And he is pairing those together to make a point. 
See, I believe we should pay attention to things like this because what an author chooses to emphasize is meant to catechize. We often miss that. We know that in real life. If you're a mom or you're a teacher, what you emphasize is going to catechize. It's going to instruct. It's going to teach. How many times have I told you? Have those words ever come out of your mouth? And the point being, you should know not to do that because of how many times I've said it. But what an author emphasizes is meant to catechize. And Luke emphasizes in this gospel and in his sequel to Luke, which is the book of Acts, he emphasizes time and time again how important women are in the mission of Jesus. Now listen, as I, as I look around this room, I'm reminded of this very truth. I see the faces of ladies in our congregation who have devoted their life to following Jesus. Listen, because of you, this church is stronger. Because of you, your family is stronger. And the glory of Jesus Christ is known and cherished more because of you. Ladies, let these three women whose names, get this, whose names are engraved in the pages of Scripture here in Luke chapter 8, let them inspire you. Whether you're single or married, divorced or widow, whether you're young or a middle-aged woman or an older woman, whether you have children or you don't, no matter what the size of your family is and no matter what your full-time occupation is, investing in Christ's kingdom must be your priority and your legacy. That's what these ladies show us. These three women are engraved in the pages of Scripture, not because of where they went to school or what great moms they were. They are forever engraved in Holy Scripture because they invested in the kingdom of Jesus. And that was their legacy. This is what it means, friends, to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, as much as women play a vital role in the kingdom of Christ, as we see here in this passage, and we're going to continue to see throughout Luke's gospel, that doesn't mean that there are no distinctions or differences in the calling of men and women in the ministry of the church. Though Luke makes the point to say Jesus highlighted the role of women. He used them in great ways. Ways that would have probably been against his culture. Like every scholar I read said women probably didn't travel with any other teacher or, or disciple. Yet Jesus has got women traveling with him. So Jesus does many things that puts these women in, in, in a wonderful place to highlight their value in his kingdom. But we must not think that there are no distinctions or differences in the calling of men and women when it comes to ministry in the church. 
And here's, here's why I bring that up for a number of reasons. First of all, we live in an age in, with our, in which our American culture, culture vehemently makes the case that equality cannot exist where there are not differences or distinctions. That's what our culture says. You want to say we're all equal? We all have to be exactly the same. Well, we don't believe that's what the Scripture teaches. We don't believe that to be true. See, here's what we believe. We believe that God made men and women equal and value and worth before God and before each other. And yet, according to God's good plan, God chose men to bear the responsibility to lead the church as pastors and to lead their homes. Now, I'm, I'm highlighting this theological value of our church and our family of churches, which is called complementarianism. And what, it, what do we mean by that term? It's what I just explained. We believe men and women are created equal before God and have value before God equally. And yet, in God's good plan, He says there's something good about differences and distinctions. And those differences and distinctions complement one another. They're a good thing. But here's what I'm aware of. Not only are these values like complementarianism under attack in our church, I bring this up because I actually think our text is highlighting this. I'm not just bringing this up because it's something I feel like I, I need to say. I'm bringing it up because I think Luke is highlighting something here we must see. Why do I say that? Notice what Luke mentions before these 12, before he mentions these three women, the 12 who were with them. And you go back to chapter 6, if you remember to that sermon, who are the 12? All men. And these 12 who are going to be called apostles, they're going to have the unique role of establishing the church and leading the church by publicly proclaiming the message of Christ. And they're going to teach about Jesus from the Holy Scripture. And in chapter 9, the 12 are going to be sent out with the authority of Jesus. And that's an important point to see, that these 12, who are all men, are going to be given a role that looks different than all the other disciples, and especially these ladies. Now we could say, well, why is that? We can't say, well, Jesus is just giving into culture. You realize Jesus could have picked six women apostles and six men apostles? And yet he didn't. And he did that strategically. And we see that pattern carried out through the rest of the New Testament. Now that raises a question. If we hold to these kind of complementarian convictions... Does that mean that women cannot be a public witness to Christ? No, not at all. If anything, that, that brings us to the final point of application we take away from the example of these women. Are you aware that out of two of the three women mentioned in verses 2 and 3, that they're recorded in Luke's gospel as seeing all the miracles of Jesus, hearing the teaching of Jesus. They watched as Jesus was crucified, and they were the first ones to witness the empty tomb and to testify to the apostles, the twelve, about the resurrection. 
In chapter 23, verse 49, it says, These ladies were there, and they saw Jesus on the cross. And then you know what Luke tells us in chapter 24, verse 10? He says this, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. Named again at the end of Luke's Gospel as ladies who had seen all of these things and were testifying to these things. Now why do I mention this? Once again, we see these women exemplify what true discipleship looks like. Not only did they support the ministry of Jesus financially, they testified about the gospel that they saw with their own eyes. The role these ladies play is valuable. Have you ever wondered? Think about this. Have you ever wondered where Luke most likely got so much first-hand material? How did he know that the angel visited Mary? Or think about what I just said a minute ago, where it says in chapter 9 that, that Herod was curious about Jesus. How do we know he was curious? Possibly because Joanna, who was the household manager, who was married to the household manager of Herod, overheard many conversations. How do we know he wanted to kill him? How do you think so many of these conversations got passed on? See, how do you think Luke is able to compile a faithful narrative regarding Jesus? Do you remember how Luke begins his gospel? Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke tells us, here's the reason I'm writing this. I'm writing this because I wanted to take all that has been said and heard from various sources, and I want to put it all down in one place so that you can have an accurate account and have certainty. And one of the means of having an accurate account was most likely through these ladies. And brothers and sisters who are in Christ, once again, let, let these ladies compel us all to be a faithful witness to Christ everywhere we go. May these ladies compel us to be a faithful witness to Christ. And may our witness and our ministry for God's kingdom be our legacy. That's what these three verses remind us. That these ladies and their ministry to Jesus was their legacy. May that be true of us. May that be said of us one day. That way after we're gone, the thing we're most known for is not X. It's that we were ministered to by Jesus and we joined in the ministry of Jesus. And one of the chief ways, church, we can be a witness to Christ following the example of these ladies is by sharing the gospel with others. We can join in the ministry of Jesus by sharing the good news of what Christ has done for us with other people. And as I close this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us as a church.
that our zeal for our evangelism would grow and that God would use us to bring people into His kingdom. And here's why I want to pray for that this morning. As I was working on the closing of this message and I was just thinking about these ladies and the role that they played in passing on what they had seen and the impact that that had. I just felt burdened that we as a church would grow in our evangelistic zeal. And here's why I want us to pray for that. Because I think starting with your pastors, it's an area we need to grow. It's an area I need to grow. And if I was to honestly assess us, it's an area we need to grow as a church. We need to grow in our evangelistic zeal of sharing the good news with those around us. But instead of hearing that and immediately being struck with guilt, here's what we should be done. It, it, it should come upon us as a burden that we take to the Lord and ask, Lord, would you increase our zeal to share the gospel with others so that in the coming days we may see many more people filling up this room who were once like Mary Magdalene. <laughs> who once were living in a horrible, horrendous, hell-bound way. But we open our mouth, share the gospel, and Jesus saves them, changes them, and uses them for His kingdom. Isn't that what we all want to see? Of course we do. And guess what? God wants to use us to be a part of that. So let us pray together as we close that God would use us for the sake of His kingdom to do His kingdom work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we do ask that You would increase our zeal. Our zeal to share the gospel with those who who don't know the good news that we know. They've heard of the name of Jesus, but they don't know the heart of Jesus. They don't know the healing power of Jesus. They don't know the saving work of Jesus. They are lost. They are aimless. Lord, would you use us and our witness to bring people into your kingdom. Lord, thank you for the example of these three women and many other women, not only then, but today, who are faithful examples of investing in your kingdom. May we all be compelled by the example of these women today to be disciples who are about the ministry of Jesus that we invest our lives in the ministry of Jesus, not just invest our lives in building a great home, a great career, a great family. May our legacy be that we were ministered to by Jesus and we joined in the ministry of Jesus till our dying breath. 
Lord, thank you for this wonderful reminder. Now would you write the truths of this passage on our hearts. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.